Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you today and thank you for joining in. Please stay with us for this hour as we are going to open the Bible once more. You can be part of this discussion if you send us a text message with a, a comment, a thought. Uh, you can use this number, 04-8209-888-3. I'd like to say hello to our panel, and it's good to have with us uh, today, Jerry. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Hello, Joe. Thank you for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, uh, Nick. It's great to be here with the panel. Brenton, it's good to have you joining. This is a challenging subject. It's going to be interesting, Nick, and it's a pleasure to be on. And Len, thank you for uh, being with us. Hello, listeners. We're glad you've joined us today. Lydia, thank you for being part of the discussion today. Thank you, Nick. I'm very glad to be part of the panel again. Hi, Will. Thank you for joining. Hello, Nick and Tano. Good to be with you. Denise, it's good to have you with us today. And I'd like to say from the beginning, thank you for taking extra time for preparation. Uh, you are going to facilitate this discussion. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, let's um, get into the subject today. And uh, we have a very interesting one. I will rise. Please take us through. All right. Well, we all know that many countries today have social programs to help the fatherless and widows. Such programs provide opportunities to help the poor and needy move forward. Some governments also provide much-needed financial assistance, but there are always more people in need than the system can support. Nowadays, other forms of abuse and oppression, such as bullying and torture, are prevalent besides poverty. Immigration is another challenging issue in many countries around the world. It has been an issue since the first days of human history. People have always looked for better places to live and thrive. We, on the panel, are the hands of God. He asks us to support and give comfort to the lost, the straying, the stranger and the outcast in our society. So we invite the members of this group and our listeners to fix their eyes on the one who is the defender of the fatherless and immigrants. So the theme for our Bible study this week is about our God as a mighty warrior fighting for his children. We also will consider the idea within the context of social oppression, which was all too common in biblical times as it is, unfortunately, in our own times. The theme of social oppression, a primary topic in the prophetic books of the Old Testament, is echoed throughout the Psalms. While abuse by political leaders causes us distress, we are not without recourse to hope. Surely the Lord defends the humble. Before we start looking at this topic, let's ask God to guide our study today. Will, would you please pray for us? Certainly. Lord, as much as we would like to live in serene, undisturbed and prosperous lives, our reality is much like those that are in the Psalms. We have the assurance, however, that you are with us. Help us to use the blessings you give us from day to day to lighten the loads of others and encourage them along the way. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you, Will. God is the shelter and refuge of those who are in trouble, but he also is the divine warrior who fights for the oppressed. Furthermore, he is a proactive leader. Thus, we should be proactive in confronting the social problems that face us today in the world. For sure, we cannot solve all of these problems, but we can strive to have a positive impact on our communities and on the lives of the vulnerable and oppressed around us, the poor, the outcast, the persecuted. We can do meaningful and life-changing work for those minorities who have been marginalised by society, just as Jesus did on behalf of the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes and the outcasts in his time. Let's see what the Bible has to say about God's protection of those who are most vulnerable in our society. Joe, can you please have a look at what it says in Psalms 18 and tell us about the idea of God as a warrior who is ready and able to deliver people from suffering? Certainly. I'll start by reading the texts. And it says, the Lord also, starting in verse 13, the Lord also thundered in the heavens and the highest gave his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire, yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomforted them. Then the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. Now, this is almost apocalyptic in its imagery, but one, particularly one that I thought was interesting to mention, is that there's also imagery of the sanctuary in that um, it talks of hailstones and coals of fire. And um, you might remember Isaiah when he was, when the Lord spoke to him and he said, woe is me, you know, um, I'm a man of unclean lips and a seraphim, an angel flew with flute and brought a live coal in his hand and touched from the altar and touched it to Isaiah's mouth. And it said, uh, he said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So um, there's def- definitely some imagery of the sanctuary there as well as um, that God is that mighty warrior that he will come. He will rise. He will arise when the time is right. Not our timing, but his timing. And um, another one that I thought I might link it with, because the Bible isn't sec- sectioned into this this area. It has nothing to do with that area or that area. It's all interconnected. Right back in Exodus, it says, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. He, The Lord is a warrior. And you ask that question. The Lord is a warrior. And the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. And this is part of Miriam's um, worshipful song that she sang on the shores, watching um, God's vic- taking the victory when they were so close to death and here, here they have been rescued. And so um, it is this powerful imagery in those texts and psalms and it's linked up with different parts of the Bible. Thank you, Joe. Len, you'd like to add something? Sometimes the word warrior might have negative connotations, but I like to see this particular imagery of God as warrior in that he fights battles for his people. He does things for those who are faithful and helps them. And in that sense, we can consider him 
as warrior. Thank you, Lynn. So we see in these verses, as Joe has pointed out, God's great care and compassion for those who suffer and his ability to defeat evil. But she also talked about the timing and we need to be prepared to wait for him to do it. And that's always a struggle sometimes. Jerry, David was a mighty warrior, and we know that David was a forebear of Jesus as well as a mighty king of Israel, and he fought many battles in God's name. Can you have a look at what it says in Psalms 18 uh, about David and his source of strength as a warrior? Sure. I'll read two verses, uh, verse 47 and 48 from Psalm 18, and reading from the New King James Bible, it says there, It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Now, if I drop back to verse 1, it says there, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. And and in verse 17, it says, He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. Verse 18, the Lord was my support. And 31, for who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? And 46, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. So from all these verses, it's obvious that uh, he has great confidence in the Lord to deliver him and to help him. Um, and it reminded me of the verse that we find in the New Testament in Second Timothy, verse 1, verse 12, that we're familiar with, where Paul says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. We can, and I think we should have that assurance of God's help to deliver us, to help us. And, uh, of course, David spoke from personal experience. He he really fought many battles, and he knew that God was there to help him. God was his strength, his tower of strength. Thanks, Jerry. So often in the Old Testament when we look at battles and we see times when leaders didn't pray to God and we see that what happened to them was that they lost battles, whereas when they uh, prayed to God and asked him to help them, he interceded for them. So listeners It's important to recognize who gives us talents and skills and success in this life. What do you think would happen if we forget who is the source of our accomplishments? Len, do you think you could answer this question? I think I could. Now, there's a very curious text in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. I'm going to read the latter part of it. It says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? And that's from the New Living Translation. You know, everything we have in life, that is the ability to see, the ability to hear, the ability to eat, our freedoms, our thoughts, we owe to God. We couldn't take the next breath if it wasn't for the goodness of God. You wouldn't even exist 
if God hadn't made you to love you. Ingratitude is actually one of the roots of atheism. When you're ungrateful, you start dismissing or even denying what God has done. And that's just a short step from denying that God even exists. We have some Old Testament verses, like from Deuteronomy 8.11. It says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes. And then there's others. But, you know, the Israelites often forgot God. And what happened to them? Straight away they were led into idolatry or atheism. So it's important that we realize that we are what we are because God has allowed it to be. We are not self-made people. God has given us these things, the ability to move, think, whatever, and we need to be thankful for him and remember that he has done it for us. Thanks for that, Len. Now, listeners and panel, there are many vulnerable people in our society for whom God wants justice. Who are these people and how are they described in the Bible? Nick, can you have a look at some verses in Exodus and Isaiah where there's a description of these people is outlined and how they are to be treated and God's response to their suffering? Can you tell us um, also how he wants us as Christians to treat others less fortunate? Sure, Denise. Uh, yes, indeed. You mentioned at the beginning of the program that, uh, uh, you know, some countries have uh, better than others uh, social programs and uh, support. Just uh, to look back a bit, you know, we, we are talking about uh, God's leadership and how God is with us in all circumstances. We studied before few topics like uh, the Lord reigns, you know, and then we also look at that the Lord also hears and delivers. And just the other week, we talk about singing the uh, Lord's song in a strange land. But I think right now, um, it's a little bit more about me, what I do, because he says, I will rise. I mean, is there a place that I need to be active in. And in this case, um, you said that, uh, you know, there are some passages in the Bible which uh, uh, instructs us or directs us. And uh, one of those passages, it's in um, in Exodus, right at the beginning, almost there, when uh, God is delivering his people from the bondage of uh, uh, slavery. And uh, God is asking them to be considerative, to be very careful of, you know, the need around. And if you look at my dear friend um, uh, today in uh, chapter, um, chapter 22, verses 21 down, even this chapter is called in my Bible, social responsibilities. And, you know, sometimes we are, uh, particularly Denise, in a country like Australia, where we have quite strong uh, social support from the government, we think that we haven't got anything to do. 
it's the role of the government and we can do whatever uh, we like to have uh, the best life we can have. And we forget that God is calling me and you to act in accordance with his teaching. Let me read just a few verses from uh, this chapter, from verse 21, um, Exodus 22, verse 21. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you are foreigners in Egypt. Now, I came to Australia some 20 years ago, and uh, for a couple of years, I was not entitled to have any benefits in this country. It was not that easy. I'll put it this way bluntly. Sometime was discouraging that my uh, fellow Australians, they were not that, you know, caring. I mean, or even say, Nick, how are you doing? Um, how things going with you? Just presuming that, you know, you are in Australia and the government take care of you. Now, he had the addresses to me to, to be very, you know, generous and caring. And he says further on here, uh, do not take advantage. I could probably say that it, there was some advantages taken on me. I work for very less money, very little money at the beginning. You know, is that an advantage? You know, we, we hear about uh, uh, modern slavery. And that can happen right as we speak. And we need to be careful of those things. If we go furthermore, here is continue to say, if you lend money, don't uh, ask for uh, for interest. And, and so on and so forth. You know, in, if we look in this uh, chapter, because it says that God will rise. God will also uh, see those things. And God will, I'll use this word for uh, lack of a better one. Uh, God will revenge, if you like, if you take advantage of those people. In this aspect, Denise, I believe we are called to be sensitive, to be intentional also, and maybe just ask or see or how you're doing or, you know, be a bit more on the, uh, on the page rather than just presume that everything is going uh, okay because of uh, the country we live in. Because the country we live in, there are people who are going tough, are going very difficult, even in these days. Thanks for that, Nick. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he identified with the poor because he was poor himself. Yet he offers riches. Now, this sounds like a strange contradiction. So what is it all about? Will, what are these riches that Jesus offers to those who are poor? Can you look at some texts for us and tell us what he promises to do to those who mistreat those who are weak as well? Certainly. Now, the Roman Roman senator Seneca was right when he said, money has never yet made anyone rich. There's an interesting phrase that Jesus uses in uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 21, which says, uh, not rich toward God. Rich toward God. We know, of course, the context. It's the man that received a large um, harvest and made big plans, selfish plans for himself. 
And um, Jesus says that he is not rich toward God. And this phrase uh, summarizes human folly, the error of thinking one does not need God. The person who is not rich toward God lives to accumulate and enjoy wealth, only to die with nothing, nothing permanent at least, or eternal, to show for his efforts. On the other hand, godly giving, all that God esteems to be true riches, is eternal. And to think of life only in terms of physical things is both foolish and fatal, because life is not comprised, as we know, nor is it enhanced by abundant material possessions, but by spiritual and eternal things. And here's the key, Denise. If we place God first, rather than the accumulation of wealth, then we will use whatever God allows us to have, no matter how little or much, to glorify him. And the way we glorify him is what Nick has spoken about, about sharing with the needy. You know, you asked the question about the wealth of Jesus. Um, in Second Corinthians 8 verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Now this phrase, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I find that phrase an interesting one. Denise, I would like to relate being rich in Christ to a parable Jesus told, if uh, you would permit me. I think because it gives us one of the vital secrets that sustain our uh, salvation connection. The parable is told in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, and I'm not going to read it all. I'll summarize it. Jesus gathers all mankind, everyone that has ever lived, together into one place. And he separates them into two groups, one on the left and one on the right. And to the one group on his left, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Of course, they all surprised, say, the righteous ones say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needy clothes to clothe you? When did we even see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And interestingly, the king replies, Truly I'll tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The others in the parable ask the same question, but get a different reply from Jesus. When did we see you sick, etc.? And um, what Jesus replies is, truly, verse 45, truly I'll tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do to me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, 
but the righteous to eternal life. To me, this tells us the secret of true riches is to share your bread with others and also to be rich in Christ, spiritual richness. Uh, That's not a spiritual wealth. That's not brought about by big bank balances. No, indeed. A very powerful parable. Thank you, Will. Len, you'd like to add something? One of the richest people in the world was John D. Rockefeller, the American oil magnate. He got sick. He was probably worth about $400 billion back then, which related to our times is probably more like $4,000 billion. He's very rich and he was sick. And this is what he said. I would give all my wealth if I could get my health back. So you don't need a big bank balance. But if you have good health, you have good uh, that you have happiness, you are rich in in a different way. Money can't buy health. Money can't buy happiness. And money can't buy peace and salvation. And Jesus said, I give you peace. My peace I live live with you. And of course he gives salvation. Look, I don't care if I had nothing, but I had the reassurance of salvation, that's worth more than squillions of dollars. Basically, Matthew 25, 31 to 46, I believe, tells tells us that it is not government's responsibilities to look after those who are needy and downtrodden. It's an individual responsibility, and that harks back, I believe, to what Leviticus nineteen fifteen tells us. In other words, what God is looking for is not government programs, um, departments of human services. He's looking for individual people like us because this is um, Jesus speaks to people in this parable on an individual basis, not on a departmental or government basis. And I think that's a very important principle to remember. Our responsibility is an individual one. Jerry, you'd wanted to say something. Yeah, just reflecting again on, on what Will read, uh, especially verse 45, where he said, um, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, yeah. you didn't do it to me. For me, that is the acid test, isn't it? The absolute acid test. Um, how do you get to that point? And I, I found in my spiritual journey um, that I've learned to love people. Uh, it didn't necessarily come naturally, you know what I mean? I mean, um, the second great commandment is, of course, that, that we love others as we love ourselves. It's it's imperative that we come to the point, I think, where we see the value of other people as Jesus sees the value of them. And if you get to that point, then your whole focus changes, then, then you do what you can to help people, to, to support them. And that's, that's really where it's at, I think. Um, to love God with all your heart and, and soul and strength and mind and your neighbor as yourself. Really, that's the bottom line. And when, and when you've reached that point, then you'll look for opportunities to reach out and, and, and help people. Notice where they're struggling and ask yourself, how can I help you? How can I be of service to you? 
I think that's what this verse is telling us. Yeah. Let's have a look at our leaders now. Those in control of countries do not always have the best interests of their people at heart. Often the leaders of countries oppress people and deny them justice. Brenton, can you have a look in Psalms and summarise for the listeners the consequences for perverting justice and making those suffer who should be protected? It's basically uh, Psalm 82 is an interesting psalm. It's simply called a plea for justice. In the first verse, uh, God is identified as the supreme judge of all, including those that are included in verses 2 to verse 7. It's dealing with a time in history, Denise, when um, Israel's judges were perverting the course of justice. They were taking bribes. They were giving partial judgments. All the things that uh, the Old Testament told them they were not to do. In verse three, it says, defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and the needy, deliver the poor and needy, free them from the hand of the wicked. Then in verse five, it's an interesting one. It says, they do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. It's not talking about the physical foundations of the earth. I believe, Denise, it's talking about the moral um, foundation of society and the perverting of the course of justice ultimately leads to anarchy, but it also leads to other things as well. In verse 8, uh, the psalmist says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. I'm just going to touch on one thing very, very briefly in regard to justice in our society today. For those who are listening to our um, broadcast here in the state of South Australia last year, in the period of one week, we had four women murdered due to domestic violence. Domestic violence is becoming a major issue in our society. Intervention orders seem to be um, either ignored or uh, put aside by perpetrators. And I think it's fair to say as women comprise at least 50% of our population, they deserve our utmost respect as well as our protection. It's an issue, Denise, I'm fairly strong on because I've had to deal with a few domestic violence situations as a minister, and my heart goes out to women who are suffering this type of thing. I think that um, the justice system as such, and I've been to court with people who have suffered domestic violence things, it seems inadequate to deal with their particular issues. So whilst it's nice to say, oh, God knows it all and that he looks after it, I believe we have a responsibility to help these people to protect the vulnerable in our society as much as we can. And um, in summarising what I just read, arise, oh, God, that suggests God do something. It doesn't just mean stand up from your throne and have a look around and see what's going on. It means do something, Lord. Act. Take action to defend these people. I also wonder um, if we uh, have authority over people in our sphere of influence, how we treat them. Are we just and fair in our dealings with those under our care or in our employ? Because this, um, what we've read today um, is a responsibility that we have as well. Len, when someone wrongs us, don't we as humans want to seek revenge and get our own back on those people? 
What does the Bible say about vengeance and who should exact vengeance on those who try to harm us? Can you have a look at some texts for us in Psalms and Matthew? And how should Christians treat those who have wronged them or done them harm? Well, that's a, a triple group of questions. I'll see what I can do. Well, I have to say that I have thought up some terrible vengeance on various people who've done me wrong. The good thing is, although I might have thought of it, I never carried it out because if I did, I would be doing wrong. I would like to share with you a couple of texts from the Bible. The first is from Romans 12, verses 19 to 21. And it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give way or give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And that goes along with Psalm 83, 18. It says that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. So here we have something where instead of we ourselves paying somebody back for what they've done wrong, leave it and let God deal with it. But there's further advice there in Romans. It says, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here is a clear line of instruction of what to do when someone wrongs us is not to try to get back at them like they, the payback system they have in some primitive cultures where somebody does something wrong and that tribe is affected and so the tribe pays back and does something worse. There's no end to that. There's always violence. There needs to be something, a fuse breaker, to, to break the system, and that, of course, is forgiveness. So if our enemy has done something wrong, instead of doing bad, do good. And that's the fuse breaker. And if, if it's not possible to do anything like that, leave it to God. He will sort things out in the end. That's a great answer, Len. Um, and it's, it's very different to how people generally think about revenge because we don't think about praying for our enemies or praying for those who harm us. Um, it's human nature to think about the opposite. Lydia, we know that God is going to judge those who have lived according to biblical principles and those who have rejected Jesus and his offer of eternal life. How does the sanctuary and its services help people understand how God is going to deal with evil? And how is the judgment good news for those who believe in and follow Jesus? Can you answer those two questions for us? Yes, of course, Denise. Uh, we all know that uh, the Lord's judgment 
it's closely related to the sanctuary. So the sanctuary was the environment where the psalmist's understanding of the problem of evil was transformed effectively. So the sanctuary was designated as the place of divine judgment. So many psalmists depict God on his throne in the sanctuary, ready to judge the world for its sin and evil. So at the sanctuary, the plan of salvation was revealed. And uh, exactly the sanctuary is the place of forgiveness of sin and restoration of righteousness, as indicated uh, by the mercy seat of God's throne and the sacrifices of righteousness, as we read um, in Deuteronomy. But there is a text here in the Romans, uh, chapter 834, which I would like to read, which it says, who is the, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So God forgives takes vengeance upon the wicked deeds and the unrepentant people. So the sanctuary is the place of divine judgment. The Lord's judgment from Zion results in the well-being of the righteous and the defeat of the wicked. So the sanctuary fostered the jubilant expectation of the Lord's coming as the judge, especially during the Day of Atonement. Likewise, the Psalms strengthen the certainty of the impending arrival of the divine judge, who is Jesus Christ in the heavenly sanctuary. Thanks. So, Janik, you wanted to add something to that? We can open up the quite wide here if we want to, but uh, time will not uh, permit us. But I think we spoke about, um, you know, not to judge. And God is the one to judge. But I would like to bring something in here. Because Elijah spoke about the sanctuary. Elijah spoke about that the, Jesus is the one who can judge. Can I say this? That there can be circumstances in life that we are called to judge. But not by our own knowledge or approach. By, by the word of God. To allow the word of God to judge. Because we can easily say, but, uh, you know, I cannot judge. I don't think so. That's fair for how God wants us to administrate things on this uh, earth. God gives authority through his word to help those people who break the law of God, if you like, to be brought back. The difference is that we should not put our own vengeance in. That if I am affected in a way or the other, then I will judge in accordance with my feelings, with what I want them to get back. As I said, we can open it quite wide here. But let's consider that also, that we are, we are called here to be good stewards on 
every aspect of life. And Brenton uh, spoke a bit earlier that he was uh, involved himself with some of the things in, you know, and mistreating it uh, in the church, for example. How we deal with that? My dear friend listening today, uh, I'm taking this opportunity to invite you to get a book which we still have uh, provided for you. And that book is still available. It's called What the Bible Says About. You just need to send us a text message with the code SABS3. SA stands for South Australia, BS for Bible study, number three, don't uh, leave any space in between, and send that to 0482098383. Our friendly robot will take you through. I would like to just thank uh, all of those people who request this book already, like uh, Sarah, uh, David, uh, Hazel, uh, Andrew and uh, Michelle, Elizabeth, all of you guys, I hope that you really enjoy this uh, book with a series of uh, Bible study. The book, What the Bible Says About by Loni Melashenko. Don't hesitate to ask for this book. Now, Len, you'd like to add something and then Brenton. Yes, on this business of judging others. A warthog says to another warthog, you're an ugly-looking critter. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, the warthog who says it is also an ugly-looking critter. So it's not right that we should judge others and tell other people what they are or what they're not. It's not wrong to tell them what they're doing is wrong. But I want to emphasize this point that Nick already made. If somebody is doing something which is contrary to the moral laws that God has set up, we are carrying out our duty, I think, to point that out, not to condemn them. Judging is condemning. But to point out what they're doing wrong, that's okay. So if somebody is stealing say, from their work. You can you can point that out and say, look, what you're doing is not right. It's, it's wrong. It's morally wrong. That's okay. But to say, well, you're a thief because we've probably all stolen something that we uh, had no rights to have. So think of the warthogs when we think about judgment. Thanks, then. Brenton. Yeah, Denise, I, I just wanted to summarise what we've discussed in regard to judicial judgment, particularly the section you gave me in Psalm 82, but it comes through in other areas as well. I think we need to recognise certain realities. Um, in our judicial system in the country in which we live, we do not appoint the judges um, who administer justice to us. They are appointed by the government. Now, we do have some uh, say in so far as that every few years we have an election and we can elect another government if we're not happy with the government that we've got. But <clears throat> I think how our recourse, if I can put it that way, to seeing justice done um, as individuals and as groups, we, we can lobby the government 
in order to change laws that seem to us to be manifestly unjust. I think on a personal level, I think one of the things that comes through in this lesson to me, or this study, I should say, to me, <clears throat> and it is a lesson, yes, it's a lesson to each of us, is God wants us to show complete impartiality in our dealings with others. It starts in, as I said, Leviticus 19, verse 15, and it goes on from there. And I think if we apply those principles in our individual lives and to those around about us, Denise, regardless of what's happening in the legal system, however bad or corrupt we may view it, I believe we are following the principles that Will pointed out that God wants us to do in uh, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Okay, Will, you'd like to add something. I think the Bible does give us, as has already been said, a little window into or an opportunity to use our a righteous discretion and correct and help. After all, um, uh, Matthew 18, verse 18 says, Truly I'll tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Interesting that um, there is some sort of authority given to humans. So, panel and listeners, the Psalms are protests against human indifference to injustice. They are a refusal to accept evil. They are motivated not by a desire for revenge, but by a zeal to glorify God's name. Hence, it is fitting for believers in Jesus to rejoice when they see God's vengeance on evil, because in this way, God's name and his justice are restored in the world. The Psalms oblige people to raise their voices against evil and to seek the coming of God's kingdom in its fullness. In the Psalms, we are given assurance of divine comfort and deliverance. The Psalms declare God as the shelter and refuge for those in trouble. So let's all trust in the divine warrior for the final outcome of justice. Truly, the Lord will arise. Brenton, would you like to offer the final prayer for our study today? Yes, certainly. Father in heaven, we want to say thank you for this study today. We have been reminded of our responsibilities both corporately, I guess, and also individually to love our neighbours ourselves. And when we see injustice and oppression being practised, either deliberately or perhaps unknowingly, that we can take action to rectify the situation within our sphere of influence. Thank you, Lord, that we are not called upon to judge others. I just want to say thank you for that because our judgment is faulty. We cannot see every point of view. We cannot see the motivation behind the alleged offences. We just want to say thank you that if we place it in your hands, as has been stated in our study today, if we leave it there, that God will avenge, he will arise, and he will show justice, not only to the nations, but the whole of the universe, those who are watching on, those who have been created and have never fallen. Everybody will see the justice and the mercy of God in his judgments. Thank you for, Denise, leading us in our study today. And we pray, Lord, that the message will come through loud and clear to our listeners, that we will be able to take something from this to challenge us and help us in our walk with Jesus. 
We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you everyone for your participation today. It was uh, wonderful uh, again to be able to look in the book of uh, Psalms and uh, to learn more and also use some other passages uh, in the Bible to consolidate, you know, uh, what we are talking. Sometimes we may think that the uh, book of Psalms are just to to be used. If some people are going through some difficult times, we may think, or oh, just uh, give them a psalm to think about and to reflect about and uh, to get well. The invitation today is that uh, we'll get involved, that we are intentionally searching for the needs of others. And I hope that uh, we can learn from today that we can do better. My dear friend uh, listening uh, today, I would like you not to miss the offer which we have um, for today. And that's uh, the wonderful book, uh, Over 30 Bible Studies by uh, Loni Melashenko. And the book is entitled, What the Bible Says About. You can send us a text message to 0482093883. And the code is SABS3. SA stands for South Australia BS Bible Study at number three, and our friendly robot will take you through. We'd like to invite you to join us uh, again uh, next time, because we are going to look into your mercy reaches unto the heavens. Until then, may God richly bless you and have an open eye for the needs around you of those people who who may go through some difficulties. I hope that you'll have a wonderful journey in the footsteps of Jesus. Keep looking up, don't give up, don't give up When there's pain deep in your heart Keep looking up, don't give up, don't give up Should the tears begin to start depths of the sea I know his love is there for me We make our plans and still it's God who directs our ways He knows each step
See?